the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Lots of talk these days about the gender gap. We have a gender gap in relationships, certainly in the working world, to pay and position. But closer examination from the Christian perspective also demonstrates yet another growing gender gap, and that is from pay and position to now a gender gap in the pew. That's right. Oddly enough, it seems as if we do a better job at putting men in prison than we do in church pews. Why exactly is that? What can we do to give greater lifeblood? to getting men involved in the ministry of the church, a gentleman who was an expert in this topic, involved in men's ministry for many, many years, and uh, now serving as the uh, the president of Men's Ministry Catalyst, an organization he incorporated back in 1981 under the moniker Let's Go Fishing. And Jim Grassy, great to see you again. It's great to see you. It's been a little while since uh, we've seen one another. But, you know, we're, we're both still good-looking, oh, handsome, young guys. It's a good thing it's radio. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Answer the question, what of this matter of, of the gender gap in church? There's a recent study out released by Biola University Professor Johnstone who estimates that worldwide 66% of those in church on Sunday mornings are women. And in the United States, those numbers are not really any different. Um, the evangelical church, approximately 57%. Mainline Protestant churches, approximately 66% are women. As I alluded to earlier, it seems as if we do a better job putting guys in prison than we do in pews. Why is that? This is unfortunate. Uh, speaking of prison, 85% of the people incarcerated, uh, the men, uh, did not have a positive role model in their life. And, and that's kind of where I'll take this conversation and this question is that I think we've lost our way uh, as a church and we've lost our way uh, as parents to some degree that uh, uh, we do not have the spiritual mentors in our lives that we should. I, I maintain there's a, a battle and it's an urgent battle for men's souls. Has there also been a greater move toward sort of either gender neutrality and some might even argue the opposite, saying that we have pushed sort of the, the feminine side of Christianity, um, both in images and the way we talk about God, uh, in, in an effort to try and bring about a sense of balance, but maybe in the process made a lot of guys feel uncomfortable in church? Yeah, I, uh, in my book, The Spiritual Mentor, and one of the chapters actually address the uh, issue of the uh, femininity, if I can use that word, in the church today. Uh, I don't maintain that every church ought to have a big moose head above the altar 
and uh, the pastor should pack a gun. Um, all that where I come from now, it's, that's okay too. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I am saying is that we, have, to some degree, have isolated men uh, and insulated men in the church setting. Um, the research I did for this uh, series called Romans 12 Disciple uh, tells me uh, through our uh, surveys and statistics, this is where most men are coming from today in our culture. They feel lonely, emotionally isolated, friendless, confused, uh, success-driven, spiritually empty, lured by pornography, deceived, uh, concerned over debt, anxious, and distracted. Wow. Now, that, that came through a number of surveys that were taken, including our own. And I'm not saying every man feels this way. But in our culture today, just look at these sitcoms that are out there. Everything is putting man down. And men do not see their role clearly in the church as to what they should do besides sit there, be quiet, and write a check. That isn't what God intended. And when you think about it, unfortunately, it started this way with mankind. Where was Adam in the garden when Eve was being tempted? It says that he was standing and watching. And somehow we got to get over this because the very statistics you quoted, which are very appropriate, is scary in in the uh, uh, European churches. You hardly find men in the church. And I'm saying the church has to help equip men as being the spiritual mentors for their home first, then the workplace and community, and we're not doing that in the churches today. Part of the problem, too, I wonder, is the sense that, I mean, as guys, we are doers and thinkers and fixers, and we're solution-oriented. Wives listening right now will say the number one thing that frustrates me about my husband is I want to share with him about a problem that I'm experiencing, and instead of hearing me out, he leaps immediately to what we need to do to fix the problem, when I just want him to hear me out. So we're, we're driven in that sense, and it's certainly demonstrated in the sporting world and in the business right. world. Part of our wiring. And, and I've, had, I've had men say to me when I've raised the question about, well, now that you've come to Christ, uh, you know, what about your involvement in church? Oh, I don't go to church. Mm-hmm. Or I only go when I get drugged there, kicking and screaming by my wife. And further explanation typically leads to a response along the neighborhood of, I don't feel like I belong. I want to right. get involved in doing something, fixing right. something. I want to be goal-oriented. And when I show up to church, all of the opportunities for ministry seem to be things like, uh, well, serving in the nursery, teaching children, uh, hospitality, uh, cooking. Uh, I'm a guy. I don't relate to any of those things. And so when I look for a place to be and be of value and service in the church, I feel as if there's no place for me. Do you think that that's a, a frequent feeling that a lot of guys experience and, and struggle with? Well, Craig, if you ever give up your day job, I'd like to hire you uh, <laughs> to be a spokesperson for our ministry. Seriously. Uh, since 1981, we have tried to sound the trumpet that uh, the churches need to engage with their men. Uh, that I mean, look at the statistics Right now, uh, upon graduation from high school, 80% of the males are leaving the church. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have stopped being effective and, and, and impacting men and creating an environment that's safe, that's transparent, 
that uh, that a man can walk into with the brokenness that we spoke of earlier and feel like there is hope. Uh, we we have pastors that uh, don't connect with men. I mean, we right now are connected with about 4,500 churches in terms of providing resources, uh, daily devotionals, all kinds of things, 4,500 churches. A third of the pastors that we've spoke to, and forgive me if this offends a pastor out there, but a third of them are actually frightened to have men's ministry because of their own brokenness or things that have gone on in other churches. That's scary. And yet we, as an organization, try to come beside the pastor, the men's leaders, the men, and help to plan, pray, and equip them so that they can actually develop vibrant and dynamic men's ministries that are engaging. And there's a number of, I mean, it took us 33 years to figure this out, and that's why we wrote the book Building a a Ministry of Spiritual Mentoring, to help pastors find a way forward with their men. Engagement, that's probably one of the most critical words here. Yes. Uh, I mean, certainly when a man comes to Christ, discipleship, mentoring, uh, raising up that person spiritually in his walk with Christ right. is critically important. But then getting them engaged and keeping them engaged. And a lot of guys say, well, I, I'm engaged. Yeah, they do a church work day once a month, and we get to get down and, you know, right. uh, clean gutters on the roof and paint Sunday school classrooms and things of that sort. But I'm looking for something more. I'm looking for something that has a greater sense of satisfaction to it and a sense of, of, of doing and purpose and being that a lot of yes. guys, frankly, just feel like they're the odd man out. Well, and I think part of that, again, comes to the back to the pastor, that we're not equipping our men to be the mentors, the disciplers. Uh, we're not equipping them for evangelism. The men's groups we've worked with, once we uh, come in and, and help them uh, to understand what God's role is for a man and how to be a man, so to speak, uh, that that the natural byproduct of that is I want to share this with people and to help them find a way forward in terms of their own giftedness, their own interest. What we say is spiritual mentoring is discipling within the context of a relational environment. And see, one of the problems we have in the church today, we have pastors preaching from the pulpit but they're not engaging with their men in a relational environment. Consequently, the men don't engage with their own family. There's a disconnect. We, we, there's a disconnect. And so we have this, this whole thing, and, and that's why our ministry, as you remember, when we did this interview 16 years ago or 17 years ago, it was called Let's Go Fishing because there was an intrigue with men. Well, you mean I could learn actually how to fish? Well, yeah, you will teach you that as a Hall of Fame fisherman. I can do that. But, hey— we want to teach you what Matthew 4.19 was all about. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus intentionally took his disciples, you see, and first of all, he said, follow me, which that's a head issue. He's asking us to make a commitment through the power of the Holy Spirit to him, to follow him. Then he says, uh, follow me, and I will make you. Who's making us? Christ is making us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through pastors and churches that engage men and help men to move forward in their giftedness in their interest areas. And then he says, and then you can be a fisher of man. And that's where we've lost this whole disconnect. 
Dr. Jim Grassi is with us tonight in studio, founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst, uh, known to folks that have been around for a while as uh, Let's Go Fishing Ministries. We're talking about the state of men in the church today. We're going to get back to more of our conversation when we come back to, we'll zero into a, a change that we've seen in, in recent years in men's ministry that seemed to be for a while an encouraging direction and suddenly did a 180. Whatever happened to the power of men's ministry. We'll talk about that as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back in studio with Jim Grassy, by the way, if you want to reach out to Jim, find out more about the ministry, how you can get involved, how you can get your men's group involved, mensministrycatalyst.org is the website. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. And we'll repeat that again in a few moments. Jim Grassy with us tonight, founder and president of this organization, been around for um, a couple of days now here, since 1981, actually, um, well known as the Let's Go Fishing Ministry. And Jim, as we're talking about the men's movement or where men stand within the church today. There was a movement that we saw quite a number of years ago that I think gave a lot of us a tremendous sense of hope and encouragement. When we saw this thing called promise keepers begin to catch momentum, and suddenly within a few years we were seeing stadiums of 40 and 50,000 men strong, and they were coming with their sons, and there was this tremendous sense that God was 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 engaging in pulling men back into the church, back into the rightful positions in leadership roles and responsibility within both the body of Christ and as heads of their families. And then seemingly as fast as this thing rose, it was like the crest of the wave, it suddenly died out. What happened? Well, it's no different than most men's ministries in most of our churches across the country. There's the ebb and, and, you know, the flow of the whole thing. And it's because they're not grounded in part in follow-up with men that's intentional, that's personal, that's deliberate, and that helps them to address the issues of their day. Promise Keepers uh, was successful for a number of things, reasons. Number one, first of all, men, as we spoke of earlier, have all these needs and all these desires, and this was a safe place they felt they could come and uh, worship God and hear some good speakers. And if you notice, most of the speakers, or a lot of the speakers, were really good role models. Uh, some of them were athletes and coaches and whatever, and guys felt like they could go there and, and, and hear from men that weren't just seminary graduates, and I have no problem with that. I've got my doctorate degree in you know in ministry, so I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that they, they felt there was a connection to the guys in terms of their real everyday lives. Uh, the second thing that, that I found is that Promise Keepers uh, emptied men out of these coliseums into the streets, into the churches, where there was no discipleship program, no follow-up program, and very few men authentic, dynamic men's ministry programs. So they experienced, as many of us did, attending these three- and four-day yeah. conferences and rallies and so forth, there was that spiritual moment, Yes, but not followed by any spiritual mentoring. 
Yep. And so as a result, the, the, the moment couldn't carry any momentum, and I play on words intentional, but we couldn't capture any sustainable momentum out of it because it was just a moment in time right. that did not have the mentoring foundation. And that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And that's what drove me to write these books on the spiritual mentor and uh, building a church of spiritual mentoring. Because we've lost, in my mind, we've confused a message, Greg. We've confused, uh, confused a message. Christ was very intentional about his some of his last words. He said, go, therefore, and what? Make, Make disciples. disciples. And yet in Matthew 9, when he was speaking with his disciples, looking over a field, he said, the field is ripe with harvest and pray for workers. In most of our churches, Craig, we've got that message totally mixed up. I mean, think of this statistic, 80%. Of the nation's churches, 300 roughly and 25,000 churches, 325,000 churches, 80% of those churches report that they've only had one or two converts this last year. Mm. One or two converts. Now, I submit to you what we're doing is we're praying for disciples and making workers. You know, it's kind of like you're accepted as a man if you come to church, come to the work day, come to a burnt pancake breakfast, uh, 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 you know, uh, attend church and write your check. Have a nice day. Don't, you know, don't confuse me with anything else. And I submit to you that that we need churches who are engaging their men, who uh, pastors who are authentic and transparent with their men, who who deliberately seek to to to. Uh, find what the issues are in their culture with their men and what they're struggling with. We know that it's possible because we have the model of the first century church. We have the model of what happened in the book of Acts with the disciples. Now, this isn't to, and I want to be cautious here because there's many ladies in the audience, and I don't want to seem as if, oh, uh, Craig, you're being sexist and so forth, not at all to diminish the role that women have played historically within the church, play today, will continue to play in the future. I I give uh, acknowledgement to that, clear and, and, and forthright. But you see... Twelve men who turned the world upside down. This was a message that obviously resonated and appealed to these men. What, in your opinion, Jim, having done study on this for many years, is different between the message that was being spoken of Christ in that day versus the message that we are speaking of Christ today. I mean, it's the same Jesus now and forever. God's word never changes. The message never changes. So what is different in the approach today that is causing so many men to feel as if this is not a place for me. It's a place for my children. It's a place for my Mm -hmm. wife. But I'm not going to be a Participant, I'm simply going to be a sideline spectator. And as we know from the analogy of sports, um, guys can be very opinionated when it comes to sports, but at the end of the day, they really want to be involved. What is what has changed? Well, it actually resonates with the message I just gave two weeks ago to a church called, Are You a Spectator or a Participant? And we've made it too easy in the church today to be a spectator and not be a participant. We forgot about what it means to deny self and pick up the cross. And it says pick up our cross, meaning that we take our gifts, our talents, our skills, and that we go out into the world and, and create this mentoring relationship. 
that's what Christ had with his disciples. It was this mentoring role, and, and it's discipleship done within the context of a relational environment. It You know, it isn't done just on Sunday morning between 10 and 11 from the pulpit down. That's important, and we need that. But it's done in life with uh, pastors connecting with their men. Now, I realize the pastors listening can't go out and connect with every man. But they can build a system within their church, and that's what Men's Ministry Catalyst tries to teach and help pastors with, is building a system that helps equip, to encourage, to inspire their men so that they can become those mentors. Well, and discipleship was always about older, more mature believers coming alongside and mentoring, for want of a better term, and maybe that is the better term, uh, younger believers in Christ. This was not singularly the job of the pastor. I mean, otherwise, my goodness, the average church would have two people in it because we know it's, we have to recognize it's an impossibility for a pastor to mentor a congregation of 500, let alone 5,000. But the mature can come alongside the younger ones and train them up in, in their walk with Christ. Exactly. And mentor them. And so then, then that's a, a system that is sustainable. And, and four things I'd mention real quick, Craig, where I feel that the church has failed. One, we've failed to properly equip and deploy our men for active service. Number two, the men of this generation have, we're, we're so fixated, and I was, I was a NASCAR dad. A NASCAR dad drives by the house, hi kids, you know, I'm off to my next job, I'm trying to be successful. We have forgot to show our men how to be significant, not just successful. That's a legacy issue. Secondly, many of the younger pastors today feel intimidated by the older, mature Christian men in their church. So we're not encouraging them to come out and get involved. And now what about these older men, men of our generation, Craig, both of us being 39? Uh, you know, uh, But men that are retiring, they, they've been sold this myth that the end game is to retire. No, the end game is to refire to, to turn on those burners that you have, the experience, the knowledge, your maturity in mm-hmm. Christ, that you can help kids. I mean, I have people come up to me all the time and say, well, I'm not on a mission field. I'm, I got arthritis. I can't go to Africa or India or whatever. Hey, your mission field, open your front door and look to the left and look to the right. 41% of the kids in the United States do not have a biological father in their home. Now, I grew up in East Oakland. In Oakland, that number is 80%. Over 80% of the kids do not have a biological father in the home. Hey, our mission field's right out our front door. But we have to be equipped as mentors with the right information and the approach. See, the, the uh, part of the question uh, that you ask is, why did Promise Keepers have this big thing? And then it sort of fizzled out because churches were not equipping their men with how to go about creating a relational uh, 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 approach to people in their, you know, in their sphere of influence. Well, and it has to be sustainable. And to be sustainable, you've got to build a firm foundation. And that takes us right back full circle to this whole issue of discipleship. Right. Exactly. And whether we want to call it discipleship or mentoring in, in more common vernacular today, mm-hmm. uh, it, it comes down to the same thing, doesn't it? It does. And 
I don't know if you want to go there, uh, not that we're done with this topic, but of late I've had uh, uh, four newspapers ask me for uh, comments on the current F- NFL situation. Let, let's save that for a moment. We're going to take a quick that? time out, Jim, okay. and we're going to come back to more of the conversation. Jim Grassi is with us tonight in studio. He is founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst. Information on the web, by the way, at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. And, Jim, you do seminars all over the country. We There's do. all kinds of resources available on the website. You can get information about upcoming workshops, uh, how you can invite a gem or a member of their speakers bureau to come and do a presentation at your church. There's also kind of all kinds of printed resources as well. Uh, Jim, you're working on book number what thirty now? I would uh, imagine no, thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm working on book number fourteen. Fourteen number, coming up. Number thirteen is the one you have in your hands. Thirteen hand. in my hands here, newly released by our friends at Thomas Nelson. Finishing well, finishing strong by Jim Grassi, and the book available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, also through Men's Ministry. Catalyst.org. When we come back, we'll talk a bit about what we can do to create an environment where men feel more invited, more at home within the church. And then, too, we'll get into a bit about what's going on in the NFL. I'll, I'll mention as a sidebar for you that Jim has served as chaplain to both the 49ers and the Oakland Raiders, but but not at the same time, I'm assuming. No. Yeah, that, would, no, that no. would have been tough. <laughs> we'll take a time out, come back to more of the conversation after an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Craig Roberts in studio. Jim Grassi, our guest. Information, by the way, again on the web at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. Jim's latest book, Finishing Well, Finishing Strong, newly published by Thomas Nelson, available through Amazon.com, I would imagine. But they can also order it online through your website? Through our website. Excellent. Mensministrycatalyst.org. O-R-G. Um, before we get into the issue of the NFL, Jim, um, let, let's talk about relatability. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I imagine a lot of guys, they come into church on a Sunday morning, and, uh, you know, guys are not one to let our hair down real rapidly. Becoming vulnerable is not something that we do very easily, just ask our wives. Yep. And so to come into a Sunday morning worship service— and have an altar call, and expect afterwards the guys to suddenly be very open, be very vulnerable. Meanwhile, sitting back in the pews, your wife, your three kids are witnessing all of this. This doesn't tend to be the kind of atmosphere where we feel it's safe to be vulnerable at that level. To be sure, the power of the gospel can penetrate into the darkest, deepest parts and caverns of our heart, as it well ought to, and God can do some incredible things in terms of, of, of healing and restoration and all of that. Um, but there has to be the appropriate atmosphere. And a lot of times Sunday morning church services are not always the best place for that to happen, are they? No, but, you know, it's funny, Craig. It used to be, particularly in the south and southeast. I mean, the old-time revivals, part of being a man, stepping up to manhood, was to connect with your spiritual roots. And the man would not feel awkward at all because he saw himself as a role model, as a potent influence in the family, that if he came forward, he expected that the family would follow. But that kind of influence is something that we need to encourage, 
Uh, it, it always needs to be trained or bred into a man, doesn't it? I mean, a, a lot of these men today, and I, I don't want to get in trouble here, but the guys send me all yeah. kinds of nasty emails, but we're emaciated. We're, we're, yeah. we're pansies sometimes. We're, we're afraid to speak true. up. We're afraid to take our proper role as heads of our households or leaders within the church. And, and, and maybe part of it is because of a lack of relatability that we look at Christianity the way it's presented oftentimes in the in the softer feminine side, as we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand, particularly for the new believer that hasn't been properly mentored or discipled, we don't understand the relatability of our faith to the working world, to business, industry, politics, whatever the case might be. We just don't see how the pieces of the puzzle fit. And so as a result, we feel like we're in this very awkward position where we're almost afraid to show our position and authority or responsibility within the body. And and it's kind of two sides to the same coin. One, I hear from some people, well, it was a feminist movement of the 70s that, that weakened men and all this kind of thing. Well, the other side of that coin is that as I talk to women today, they want a man to step up and in a respectful way be the head of the home, to be that spiritual leader. And uh, a lot of men have acquiesced on that. They have we've acquiesced stepped, a lot of our responsibility, yeah, we, too. We've stepped back. We're strong at, in the workplace, and we come home, and it's kind of like, I've been stressed all day. I don't want to deal with this. And and I get that. Hey, I've been there as a city manager and you know a guy with all kinds of responsibilities, but you know, ultimately, we have to come back to the biblical definition of manhood. And we've got to look to the Bible as our source of strength in our pastors and the men that we connect with. And you start off by describing uh, what many churches feel like to men today, you know, this kind of flowery, uh, pastel kind of experience. And that a guy, you know, doesn't feel comfortable coming forward. He doesn't feel comfortable coming forward because in his own men's group, or the men around him have not made him feel comfortable, that they haven't set an atmosphere of transparency, of encouragement, of, hey, this is a place that you can unwind and it stays here in the room. We need to set that atmosphere in our churches, and that's what we hope that's the passion that drives us. Do we also have to do a, a better job, Jim, of defining expectations and responsibilities? Yeah. I, I, and again, I don't want to make it seem as if I'm making excuses for the guys. And I think this suggests that, well, the feminist movement of the 70s has emaciated a lot of guys. I think that's a bit of a cop-out. But there's also mm-hmm. a sense, too, that we understand what the biblical model ought to be for masculinity in the home, for example. Right. And how many wives, you talked about the rate of the number of homes Mm -hmm. that have uh, single-parent moms, no dad present at all. How many of those children, how many of those mothers and wives want their man to be a man and step up to the plate and live out a godly masculine life? And yet a lot of guys either don't understand what those expectations are or they come from a broken home themselves Mm -hmm where they've never seen it modeled, all they've seen is mamby-pamby Christianity or mamby-pamby mm-hmm. masculinity. And so they live out what they know because they don't know anything else. And and that's where, again, the spiritual mentoring comes in. There are enough of us guys our age around that we need to help shepherd the 40-somethings 
that who can then help shepherd the 20-somethings. When you think about the statistic I gave you, which, by the way, is it, all these statistics are in the book and they're totally uh, researched well, when you consider that 41% in general, that's throughout the United States, not counting the inner city issues that are much higher statistic, but when there's no role model around, there, when there's no mentor around, no strong male to help lead and set the pace, that guys now have problems with their masculinity, they, they're not sure, their, their sexual identity issues, there's all kinds of things. So they turn to pornography or they turn to other things to fulfill this need they have. And, uh, and, and somehow the church, the Christian church, is a logical place for this to become a, a touchstone for for men who are feeling like I need a role model, but we have to have guys step up. Step up. Well, then this also suggests that at the end of the day, if we're going to call upon our men to be men and to be uh, to do a better job at following Christ, to, to follow suggests that there needs to be a leader. And I hearken back to what Paul had said: "Follow mm-hmm. me as I follow Christ." That's right. The sad thing is that there aren't enough leaders out there that can help model for men what That's this right. looks like, what the balanced. Uh, appropriate biblical model ought to be for uh, fatherhood and husbandhood and right. leadership within the working world. Exactly. And and that's where, in my mind, we, we as a culture uh, have to um, shape up, starting with the top office of the land on down, that we need to uh, be men of integrity, that our character needs to stand for something. That 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 uh, we we show our patriotism, that we show what it means to be a man, to be a strong man, and that doesn't mean strong by being authoritative at home and you know I I'm taking charge. It means strength is about you know working with people, working within the whole context of family and what that means. Well, even, for example, we've seen recently in the headline news what's been going on with all these cases of of reported uh, domestic violence and abuse and things of that sort, and some have opined, well, it's just testosterone out of control. Yet I look at it and say, this is not a man who's being out of control as a man. This is a man who, in fact, doesn't know how to be a man, a guy that feels comfortable beating up on a woman who's half his height, half his weight, that's not a masculine man. That's not testosterone out of control. That's a man who, in fact, needs a good injection of masculinity. And I want to talk about that when we come back after a brief time out. As we mentioned, uh, Jim has served as the chaplain of both the 49ers and the Raiders, and there's been this argument that there has been a crisis of character with the NFL. Maybe better put, there is a crisis of character within our society today. So how do we raise up masculine men who also know how to respect women. We'll talk about that next. Jim Grassy with us, again, founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst on the web at mensministrycatalyst.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Back to the conversation with Jim Grassley. Jim, let's spend some time talking about what's going to be going on in the NFL. Uh, we've seen recently this whole rash of names, Adrian Peterson, Ray McDonald of the 49ers, Rice that we mentioned a moment ago, that are being accused of not uh, parking ticket violations. It's pretty serious stuff here. And, you know, from my viewpoint, I see the behavior of these men, and I don't see them as uh, – big, strong men with testosterone out of control. I look at these as men that have no character, no sense of appreciation for the opposite sex or, or, or values whatsoever. Give us your insights. You served as chaplain of both 49ers and the Raiders for many years. What's going on here? Well, um, I, I've had also had the privilege of writing three books on the NFL, essentially, well, or football and faith. Um, and the last one, Guts, Grace, and Glory, uh, Guts, Grace, and Glory, is a football devotional. And I've had the opportunity to interview some of the top stars in the NFL, to be in the locker room with some of these guys, MVP players, uh, coaches that have won Super Bowls. Uh, I can tell you this, that as bad as it may seem, because it is, it is bad, I mean, one incident is bad, uh, that it's actually, it might shock you, that the incidence of arrest and uh, violence in the NFL is less than the general public. In the general public, it's 8.6% nationwide people will be uh, arrested for a felony. In the NFL, it's 2.8%. Of course, when your neighbor's beating up his wife, that doesn't make the headline news. That's but right. But when Ray McDonald does it, it does make the headline yes. news. And, and I'm not at all uh, trying to say that um, that uh, uh, somehow the NFL uh, is that much better in society. I think it's a reflection on society. In the last month, I've been asked by three major newspapers to write articles on this whole deal because of my books on um, uh, guts, grace, and glory, and character, and the NFL, and all that. And uh, you're right, Goodell and everyone has their hands full. But, you know, um, there is a trend towards a positive. I talked off the air that the NFL has instituted policies now that uh, uh, teams have to have three meetings during training camp on character-related issues. It could be finances, other things that they are having to deal with. Um, I also mentioned that um, a number of these guys who are in trouble now are guys that do, did not have a positive role model at home. Uh, Ray Rice, as an example, his dad was shot to death when he was one year old. So these guys are growing up without the positive male influence in their home. Uh, they go to college where too many college coaches have been interested in the football game and the score and winning a trophy rather than building character. The Vince uh, Lombardis and uh, the John Wootens and uh, uh, Tom Landry's of, of that time, uh, they, those guys need to be around these coaches, uh, you know, if they were alive today. Part of this needing to break the cycle, I mean, you mentioned about the history of Ray Rice, and this is not to pick on Mr. Rice, but that he never had proper role modeling because he lost his father as a very young boy. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, whether we're talking about 
uh, violence that spills from the NFL outside of the gridiron into the home to what we see going on in society today with these statistics. And, you know, granted, uh, we've become a very violent society. We solve we international conflicts by uh, shooting at each other. We solve disputes by, it's like the gunfight at OK Corral. We teach our kids, hey, great way of entertainment is to go play a violent video game. We watch yeah. all these movies that are all around very strong, violent right. themes. So I, I've, part of it, I see it as the entertainment business and a desensitizing that has gone on over many generations. But I have to wonder, too, at the, at the bigger picture, at the 30,000-foot-high viewpoint, Jim, that you have on this, if part of what is going on here is that we have seen a layer of broken homes, broken relationships, um, ineffective or non-existent mentoring or discipleship, and then that falls generation after generation after generation. At the end of the day, is it any wonder that we find ourselves in society where we're at today? Uh, John Wooden had a great line. It says, sports doesn't build character, it reveals it. And I, I think we've lost our way, uh, what I try to point out in my articles, we've lost our way as a society that we no longer value character as we once did, that integrity and a man's word, uh, this kind of thing, we we don't value that the way we used to. And uh, but I, in defense of the NFL, I will say not only are they doing some positive things, and we have great uh, uh, chaplains that are uh, part of our uh, institutions, and they're becoming as important as assistant coaches now in helping men with their character. But, you know, uh, I was very good friends with Steve Wisniewski, 13 years in the NFL, eight-time All-Pro, uh, Napoleon Kaufman, who's now a pastor, uh, Kevin Gogan, who's up in the Northwest. And uh, Kevin Gogan and Steve Wisniewski were, were put on the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated as the meanest men in football. The meanest men in football. That's the way the story read. And yet, I have had those guys in my home a number of times. And I can tell you they honor their wives, they love their family, and outside of the football game, they are solid Christian men. But when men don't have that anchor of faith in the NFL, they can go awry because of the money, the temptation, and all the things that are there. Let's spend a moment as our time winds down and talk a bit about the R3 men's conferences that you do all over the country. First, the R3. What are the three R's? Revive, Restored, Relaunch. And so our uh, we used to be Iron Sharpens Iron. Most of the people in the Bay Area would know us as doing those kind of conferences. We now are three R, Revive, Restore, Relaunch. But the difference, coming back to the Promise Keeper illustration, where Promise Keeper failed is that the men were listening, they weren't participating. In our workshops and conferences, you have two breakout, two main speakers, then breakout sessions, where you can get together with guys who have like issues that you're dealing with, whether it's addictive behavior, pornography, financial, uh, being a better husband or whatever. There's workshops so that you can sit down and get some practical stuff. 
And again, folks can get information about any of the upcoming conferences on the web at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministriescatalyst.org. Well, they asked Jim, can anything good come out of the San Francisco Bay Area? And the answer is yes. Yes. And we're so appreciative of uh, your ministry that began here many years in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area many years ago and is now spread across the country. So keep up the good work. And anytime you're back in town, uh, look us up. Well, certainly one of the good things, and I'm not just saying this because I'm here at KFAX, has been KFAX. Uh, anytime I'm back in the Bay Area, I listen to you folks, and you guys are doing a great job, especially you and your show. Well, Thank appreciate you. that. Thanks again, Jim. Again, the latest book, by the way, Finishing Well, Finishing Strong, newly published by Thomas Nelson, all Bay Area bookstores, as well as Amazon.com, and of course, through Jim's website, where you can also get information about the upcoming conferences that he mentioned at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. And our thanks again to Jim Grassi, founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 